check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom, and in today's episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Sharon Walpole. She is director of the Professional Development Center for Educators and a professor in the School of Education at the University of Delaware. During her long career, she's done many things and may be best known for co-authoring the book, How to Plan Differentiated Reading Instruction with Michael McKenna, and she's also the author of the free open educational resource called Bookworms. And so that is a free curriculum online that includes loads of resources for shared reading, interactive read-alouds, and more. So in this episode, we're going to start by talking about her way of differentiating foundational skills. So she actually starts with a whole group spelling lesson on level, and then she differentiates based on where students are with their knowledge of phonics skills. And then she also talks about the whole classwork that that happens within the Bookworms program. She definitely challenged my thinking in a few ways, as you'll see. So you'll have to let me know what you think of our conversation. You can leave a comment in the show notes. And with that, let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Walpole. Thank you. So today you agreed to meet with me to talk a little bit about differentiating reading instruction, especially in the primary grades. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience in education and what brought you to where you are now? Thank you. Uh, Yes, I was actually a high school history teacher, if you can imagine. Um, And my students couldn't read very well. So I became interested Mm -hmm. in studying reading. And I thought, I always thought I would study adolescent um, literacy. But uh, when I went to the University of Virginia, I had the opportunity to work with some really, really fantastic folks in beginning reading and shifted my focus. And then I really did want to do my research in elementary school. So instead of going to a university job right away, I became a literacy coach in an elementary school to sort of get some street credibility because there's nothing first grade teachers hate more than having a high school teacher tell them what to do. So, um, so I learned a lot about how to, um, how to run a reading program, which was much more mm-hmm. than just how to teach reading. Uh, mm-hmm. And I did that work for three years. And then I moved to the University of Delaware in 2002. And I've had a really okay. wonderful career at the University of Delaware. Um, I've studied literacy coaching, I've studied the design and evaluation of interventions, and I'm also the author of a K-5 reading curricula, curriculum that's um, yes. open access called Bookworms. Yes, and we'll talk about that at okay. the end. Um, so you have written, co-written, mm-hmm. How to Plan Differentiated Reading Instruction. I think multiple versions of yes. that have come out. Tell us about where that came from and what the book is written for. Yeah, so it, it actually, it's a kind of an interesting story and it um, houses sort of the um, whole trajectory of the move from um, guided reading into direct instruction. Mike McKenna, mm-hmm. my uh, late partner, he died in 2016 uh, suddenly, uh, but we had worked yeah. together for about 15 years and we were in the early 2000s, we were um, working in Georgia reading first. We were the state okay. architects of professional learning. So we went to Georgia and we visited schools a um, couple times a month. And 
One of the things that Reading First required was that teachers collect data on foundational skills development. And that was um, kind of the beginning of Dibbles being very widely used. It was the test that was used in, in uh, Georgia. And um, at the same time, teachers were required to use a core program that was based in SBRR, scientifically based reading research. And there was a big movement for that. And so, so there were these two mandates and they kind of overlapped because the assessments revealed foundational skills deficits, um, but they didn't tell exactly what to do about them. You know, they were screening mechanisms. And I thought mm -hmm. teachers needed to know exactly, not just that kids were at risk, but exactly what they needed to learn. So mm -hmm. we um, actually developed a diagnostic assessment that's very easy to use called the informal decoding inventory. Okay. Um, the other thing that we learned was that the uh, Reading First mandate had a big conceptual hole because uh, back at that time, all of the um, all of the curricula that were on approved lists for SBRR actually had some version of guided reading. Not all of them, almost all of them. And so teachers had a grade level passage or reading that went across the week, and then they had small three small groups. And typically, those small groups had a guided reading lesson in one of three little books that were related. So they had some shared okay. vocabulary, uh, but there was the easy version, the middle version, and the hard version. So that made no sense to me um, because the easy version, especially in kindergarten, first grade, and the beginning of second grade, was typically a predictable book. And so mm -hmm. um, we had data to show that students were at risk for their um, decoding proficiency and for their oral reading fluency. And we had diagnostic data to show exactly what they needed to learn, what um, whether they needed to firm up their letters and sounds, whether specific um, decoding proficiencies had been mastered. And those are pretty predictable. I mean, we know a lot about how decoding develops, um, but there was no mechanism for, for teachers to actually address what kids really needed. So they were in small groups doing something that made no sense at all to me, predicting mm -hmm. what the words might be. Um, mm -hmm. And so we actually said, well, let's sub out that, la that small group, that first, that, that weakest group um, and teach some phonics. And so that's how the approach actually began. There, there are things about guided reading that were always very attractive to teachers. It's not hard to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it can be done in a sort of routine, regular way with students learning mm -hmm. to manage their self-directed work and teachers calling groups. I mean, so mm -hmm. we used that structure, but subbed out the content. Mm -hmm. And um, pretty soon, uh, um, schools, and, and, that, and there was no problem with that in the reading first world. I know people say that, you know, it was very rigid. It, it wasn't for us because we actually, okay. after we started that in Georgia, we also worked in, um, across most of the states on the East Coast to try to promote this same idea. And it was very, very well received. So um, that's how it started. It started to, as a 
feasible replacement for guided reading instruction for kids who needed to learn to decode. Okay. And then in your book, of course, you lay out all the different types of lessons that you would have depending on where they're at. Yeah, we ended so up one... scripting it. Sorry. Um, we, we started yeah. out with just frames, like this is what the lesson should contain. Um, and a lot of literacy coaches filled in those frames. But then when I came to watch them, they were some, sometimes they were just a little bit off. The scope and sequence wasn't exactly right or the level of difficulty wasn't exactly right. Um, so we just said, well, we can write them easily. So that's how we ended up writing a book that talks about the science of reading and also has a fully scripted um, set of lessons for building basic alphabet knowledge, uh, initial phonemic awareness, and then more advanced uh, phonemic awareness and segmenting and blending and uh, single syllable phonics instruction. So what is your opinion on the idea of, yes, all kids need to know this, but I'd rather teach the grade level skill, according to my curriculum, to everybody at once, including these elements, you know, explicit teaching and all that. And then if someone's struggling, um, then I'll remediate in a small group. Or if they are more advanced, then I'll give them a small group a couple times a week. But we always start with this, whatever, 20, 30 minutes of whole group phonics. Do you have any opinion on that? Um, I actually think that that's, uh, that's pretty normal and it's uh, a good idea. Because in the end, okay. you can't, it's, it's not feasible for teachers to differentiate everything. And okay. what I worry about is how long that whole group lesson is. Okay. So mm -hmm. even in um, bookworms, that's how we do it. Uh, we have a short um, word study lesson that focuses on spelling and on letter formation in kindergarten and then mm -hmm. on decoding regular and high frequency words in first grade and then on uh, more mature letter patterns starting in second grade and then on syllable types starting in third grade so you can still do that whole group phonics instruction for the grade level um, relatively quickly uh, and okay. for students who are struggling in that area they may not be mastering the content that the teacher is teaching because they, they're on the continuum of word knowledge. They're starting out much lower. However, it doesn't mean they're not learning anything. Um, okay. They might be learning word meaning. They might be building phonemic flexibility, um, even if they're not quite learning decoding and spelling. So I know that um, one of the things that you would ask me to think about was, whether that's previewing the content so they can learn it later. And I don't think that makes sense. I think they're learning okay. something else <laughs> about okay. words. Some students do need um, us to go back to really where they start on that continuum, but I don't think it's reasonable, nor would it be effective not to have grade level instruction, because what about the students who are on grade level? You know, so they need mm -hmm. to keep advancing their knowledge across the grade. And if there's no scoop and scope and sequence for grade level word knowledge building, those students won't be served. What about someone who would say, well, let's just put them, let's give them a diagnostic screener or diagnostic assessment for phonics and then just put them all in instructional groups based on where they are in the scope and sequence. And that's how we give our phonics instruction. Um, well, that's what, what we do. Um, yeah. But we do both. So we both we have okay. we first have a, a grade level word 
quick word study lesson every single day, but then also okay. um, give students a diagnostically driven small group lesson. And I do think that the that that combination, well, at least so far in the okay. research on the effects of bookworms, has been uh, okay. really dramatic. Um, so we do both. Can you help me understand the purpose of the small whole group lesson? Um, for the short everybody. whole group lesson. Yeah. So um, in in bookworms, it's a spelling lesson. Okay. So at the at its very beginnings, kindergarten and first grade, word knowledge, spelling and decoding can either be developing together or they can mm -hmm. diverge. That happens a lot. So students end up doing really well in their decoding, but their spelling uh, starts to drop right. off. So what I decided to do was to differentiate phonics instruction to get decoding ahead as quickly as we could, and then have a really systematic attention to spelling instruction. Ideally, in a bookworm school, a student's placement in decoding lessons in small group would be ahead of where their uh, word study spelling instruction is at whole group. Yeah, that's very interesting because I know a lot of kids um, might enter kindergarten, first grade, reading well above grade level, mm -hmm. but their spelling is not at the same place. Yep. How, how does that work though? Like if you're doing the whole group spelling and you have someone who's like, they're only reading at CBC level, but the whole group spelling is much farther along. How does, how do they do with that? Not well. I think okay. that that's important <laughs> information for okay. teachers and families. Um, because I think it's easy to say my student, my child or my child, my students are doing well when I'm um, instructing them at their just right level of decoding knowledge. But we need to have a mm -hmm. reminder that, that that it's an emergency and that they're well yeah. below grade level. So, um, mm -hmm. yes, I would expect students who are in second grade and decoding at CVC to do very poorly on grade level word knowledge assessments because they're not at grade level. Mm -hmm. So in those small groups, would you do any kind of encoding work? We don't um, because there's not enough time. It's not that that okay. might not add value to me the costs are too great. So whenever the um, whenever students are in a small group in a classroom-based intervention, the rest of the class is waiting. And yeah. so the longer that time is, so, so that's just a pragmatic decision that I made and I might be wrong for sure, but that's why I made it. Um, I wanna really protect yeah. the amount of time that students are not in teacher-managed work. Right. And it is just a, it's a tug of war kind of because you're trying to meet everybody's needs specifically, but you also realize that the other kids aren't getting you at the same time and That's right. they just can't, they're, they're just not learning as much. Uh, they're, they're in a situation where they may be practicing right. something for automaticity, but there's no direct instruction there. So I know that that is a really hard thing for teachers. I know some schools have managed this by having a grade level team work together and each mm -hmm. teacher is given a group. So they're all getting a, a good length phonics lesson at once. Um, for a teacher that is finding that they don't have the support or, you know, to really do a really good small group setup for the tier one. So like their, their main phonics instruction mostly needs to be whole class, a longer whole class lesson. Do you have any tips for differentiation within that? I just don't believe in that. I mean, I think yeah. you can either teach grade level instruction or you can teach um, different content 
based on students assessed needs, but you can't do both at once. People have tried it. Um, I don't think that that's an ideal design. People um, in bookworm schools differentiate sometimes for students who are struggling by giving them uh, preview lessons for the mm -hmm. word study, mm -hmm. as, but not from the teacher, you know, because the teacher has to be managing the whole crew, <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. if they mm -hmm. have intervention providers, they also, um, some people have also designed some um, response cards so that the teacher mm -hmm. can actually monitor more visually uh, how quickly students are actually responding because they're um, touching items on a response card. Okay. I also, but I think that, I still think that students can be learning different things. So for example, okay. one student might actually be building phonemic blending skills while another student is learning how to spell patterns at the same time. So, um, so I think that um, always having phonics and or spelling instruction have a phonemic content um, actually is a way that you're both um, building automaticity for all kids, but also differentiating inside one lesson. So I'm trying to conceptualize how all this looks day to day for the teacher who's trying to figure out how to apply this. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could just briefly just walk us through. It's the beginning of the year. It's a first grade teacher. What does she I'll do first? I'll tell you how Bookworms okay. is designed. Um, so in a Bookworms first grade classroom, the teacher would start with shared reading probably. There's three segments, shared reading, English language arts, and uh, differentiated instruction. Let's say she starts with shared reading. Shared reading in Bookworms starts out with about 10 minutes of compare and contrast spelling instruction. Mm -hmm. It's called word study in the, um, in the lesson plans. And all the lesson plans are open, so you can actually look at them. Um, they're open access. And in the first four weeks of school, they're just, they're, the kids are um, reviewing their letter names and sounds. But then in week five, they start uh, comparing and contrasting short vowel word families. Every day, they sort words by their uh, sound and then by their patterns once they become more um, sophisticated. They also do full phonemic analysis of words, and they learn uh, six high to spell six high-frequency words every week. So that word study instruction, it's fully scripted in the lesson plans. It lasts about 10 minutes. At the end of that, all the students write a dictated sentence. The teacher says a sentence, the students memorize the sentence, and the students write the sentence. And that allows all the teacher to have daily progress monitoring in first grade sure. when things are such high stakes for mm -hmm. kids. After that, they um, have um, their reading lesson, which starts out with choral reading. Bookworms only uses trade books. The teacher doesn't select them. They're already selected and they're fully curricularized. So the teacher is gonna read the day's text segment with students chorally which means everybody's reading together, keeping their voice as best they can with the teacher's voice. And then immediately they reread in partners. Okay. So um, the teachers have partners already set up. The students just move to their partners and they reread that day's segment. By about October 15th, <laughs> probably the, um, the time that students spend in that repeated reading is about eight or 10 okay. minutes. So they've read with the teacher, 
and then they reread. And then on Tuesday, the next day, the teacher reads the next part of the book and the students reread it. So they're always reading and rereading. So they have a repeated reading intervention every okay. single day. And then they have a discussion with open-ended questions. The teacher makes an anchor chart of the content of the book. And they do that every single day in shared okay. reading. Okay. And then if 45 minutes have elapsed for that instruction, and now it's time for differentiated instruction. At this time, the students are, um, the teacher can see up to three groups for 15 minutes okay. each. And those, when the students are in their groups, they're getting, either they're getting phonic, additional phonics lessons that are based on diagnostic data, or they're getting an additional repeated reading lesson. While the other students are not with the teacher, they have a written response to the day's shared reading. So there's always a question that they write mm -hmm. and then they practice their word study in, in a workbook. Okay. And actually in first grade, they also have handwriting okay. practice. So those are those two blocks. And then there's a third 45 minute block in bookworms at least that has either units of read alouds to build knowledge mm -hmm followed by grammar instruction or writing instruction, composition instruction. Okay. So if we go back to the shared reading time, so these are, these mm -hmm. are trade books. These are not like decodable text necessarily. Right. So no. can you walk us through that? Um, because I think some people would be concerned by that um, and wondering if we're teaching kids to memorize words or how can they access the words if they don't have the, the patterns. Um, so that's a really good question. Uh, and probably in the first few weeks of first grade, there's a lot of kids who are memorizing the words because the, the books themselves are short enough for that to happen. But after that, um, they're just too long. Mm -hmm. So they can't memorize the words. I think the benefits of repeated reading have been very well documented in the research literature. Mm -hmm. but, but you're right to be skeptical because basically they say that the benefit benefits of repeated reading start when kids are passed about in the old fashioned uh, terminology, a primer mm -hmm. level. Yeah. Right. So basically we have to get them up to the primer level as fast as possible for the benefits of repeated reading to kick in. Now our small group lessons, phonics lessons do have decodable text yeah. practice, but that decodable text is matched to the decoding mm -hmm. instruction, right? So in some ways, for some kids at the beginning, maybe even the first month of first grade, parts of shared reading might just be a placeholder as we're using the rest of the day to get their skills built enough that they could read at a primer level. What do you see as the learning goals or the benefits of the shared reading time? It builds community. That's one. And motivation for okay. sure. And, and actually, I've been amazed at how much it builds student motivation to read. But... That's just uh, frosting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the real benefit is um, kids building automaticity with a wide range of words. I do think, I think that there are people, special educators, who will disagree with me and say that the, all, all reading has to be controlled. Um, but that just never ends up intersecting with natural language text, okay. in my view. So I put natural language text in front of kids, but with this intense scaffolding of choral reading. 
students do learn words. They learn a lot of words just by reading them successfully several times. I'm influenced by the work of David Scher, yes. who um, one of the things that he's, he's argued that really resonated with me is that words are in a sort of stage of known, mm -hmm. right? So they go from unknown to fully known. And the amount of times kids solve, the number of times kids solve a specific word or a word with a specific set of features differs by the individual and um, brings a, a word to known. So I think that this repeated reading intervention, even at the beginning of first grade, is building the corpus of, of sight words in a child's lexicon. So we're addressing it very systematically uh, with a spelling continuum, with a decoding continuum, and with repetitive reading in natural text. Yeah, so interesting because I know that there's not a ton out there in research about decodable text, and then there's also... Ref um... There was a meta-analysis, and their their uh, conclusion was that we shouldn't limit kids to decodable text. So you're basically showing us mm -hmm. a way to scaffold yep. other text reading. I think it's still a little hard um, to wrap my brain around a little bit because there's so much about automaticity at the word level and not um, like achieving that before you move kids into these more authentic texts. Do you have anything to say about that? Kids are capable of learning a lot more than we think they mm -hmm. are especially if we're providing a really engaging environment and a lot of scaffolding, mm -hmm. which is what Bookworms provides. And they're also uh, able to build a, liter a literate community, mm -hmm. even in a first grade class, where kids actually collaborate to solve reading problems and, and to act. And, I mean, of course, uh, other people would say, well, that's what they do in a reading and writing workshop. But that's actually also what they do in a science of reading based classroom, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as long as you've taken time to build community and and also as long as you've proven to kids that they're going to learn to read. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're going to be able to participate every single day and they're going to do things that are both interesting to them and challenging and they're going to do them in community. So to someone who would say any choral reading type exercises or... Um like fluency type building for early readers should be like, let's say they're doing reader's theater and they'd say, well, it should only be decodable reader's theater. That is a lot of what I hear. Um, can you respond to that? And why? I think you would disagree with that, right? Yeah. I, I, I've never actually heard that ever. <laughs> um, reader's theater can't be with decodable text. That's not what reader's theater is. So, um, so I don't know what those people are. Well, it about. would be people who believe that, we shouldn't, uh, people that, you know, are, are working hard to understand the research, but believing that when kids start reading, they orthographically map words by matching the phonemes, the graphemes, actually sounding it out. And if we're giving them a lot of words they can't mm -hmm. sound out, then what exactly are they doing? Yeah, I mean, okay, I hear you now. So um, what exactly are they doing is sometimes they are actually processing words more holistically when they're embedded in natural language text. I mean, that's just, there's no way around that. Of course, that that's what they're going to do. But some of those words will be processed in that, during that time with enough, enough depth to actually build them into the lexicon. Not all of them. Maybe the um, bets I'm trying to hedge mm -hmm. are, that we can teach decoding systematically and that's going to build word knowledge. Mm -hmm. 
We can teach spelling systematically, and that's going to build word knowledge. And we can also engage kids in repeated reading, and that's going to build word knowledge too. So two of them are along very predictable lines of development, and one is uh, out in the wild. Okay. So I know in your lessons you have decodable sentences, um, and then these, mm-hmm. and then we have this other time that they're doing this other reading, this choral reading with scaffolding. And some of those words they are sounding out um, because they have the knowledge to do mm-hmm. that. But we're also giving them access to a chance to build prosody and build knowledge right. and community and see statistics, see patterns in words. So eventually, like you said with David Share, when you have some phonics knowledge, mm-hmm. you teach words yourself. So we're okay. All right. Thank you for thank you for walking me through that. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just actually trying to give kids the opportunity to come to that time um, when they're ready. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To to be engaged in this really, really rich word world mm-hmm. in bookworms. And um, and I actually think it's fine for some students to be for students to be in the same world, but learning different things at the same time. Maybe in some ways, that's the definition of differentiation, but it's not because of what the teacher's doing to make it different. It's because of what the student's bringing. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way. Very interesting. Um, Well, thank you. (laughs) Me (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing how Bookworms works. And of course, I'll I'll link to that in the show notes and your book. Is there anything else you want to share about your work or things that you'd like people to find from you? I really would love love people, especially people who use the How to Plan book, because they have they have experienced a trust in what Mike and I together learned about how to build world knowledge, word knowledge. I wish they would uh, look at the um, full curriculum to see how can we expand that idea to all the skills that kids need to be successful at grade level. So you can make it's easy to. Um, sign on to open up resources and get access to the lesson plans that they're free. Yes. All you have to do is buy the trade books that go along with them. Yeah. Well, thank you. I know I, I've, I've sent many people, especially to your interactive read alouds there because they're just so well laid out. The mm-hmm. vocabulary is taught so nicely. Um, and I'll make sure everybody can find all that. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes for today's episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 148. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.